Lucky Land slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Blog Talk Radio. Not proud that that was me And when I face it I take back A little dignity Not looking for excuses I just want to be free From power Everyone and welcome to the Bubble Hour, where real people tell real stories of addiction and recovery. My name is Jean, and I'm your host tonight, along with my beautiful, lovely, talented, charming, smart co-hosts, Catherine and Amanda. Hello, ladies. Wow, thank Hi, you. Jean. Yeah, wow. <laughs> I've missed you. <laughs> the three of us have not been on the air together for a couple weeks, and we're—I don't know about you, but I really—I needed my fix of my. Um, girl time tonight. Yeah, so. I'm jonesing for you girls, for sure. <laughs> I'm jonesing. <laughs> jonesing for my bubble girls. Well, yeah. We're recording on Mother's Day, and therefore we decided tonight we would talk about motherhood and recovery. We chose the topic of what to tell the kids. So although there are many common truths and shared experiences in addiction and recovery, family dynamics differ from person to person. And when it comes to motherhood, There's no magic formula or handbook for anything, including talking to our kids about recovery. What we can do is share our experiences and perspectives with one another and be willing to thoughtfully consider the best fit for our family. So this episode explores a variety of positions from being completely open to selectively shielding our children from our experiences and why those choices make sense for different people. And we're very pleased to be joined tonight by two moms in recovery. Please welcome Erin and Anne. Hello to you both. Hi. 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 Now, Erin has three children, age 14, 10, and 8, and has chosen not to directly address her recovery journey with them. And Anne has two tweens, ages 9 and 11, and she does speak openly about alcoholism and recovery. So, Erin, let's start with you. How about you tell us a little bit about yourself? Um, yeah, okay. Uh, my name is Erin. I live in North Carolina, and like you said, I've got three kids. Um, I've been married for about three and a half years, so we are a blended family. Um, I have been sober almost six months now, which is fantastic. It's been quite a journey and one that I'm um, very excited to take. Um, when my husband and I got together, we became drinking buddies. So I think drinking has played a big role in this family over the last few years. Um, But it was always sort of normal, just what we did. 
um, it was our nightly thing, and we had neighbor friends, and we would all get together, and the kids would watch movie, and the parents would drink, and it's just kind of what we did. But, you know, that starts to fall apart if you've got a problem, and, and there certainly was a problem. And I just decided around October that I was just done contributing um, to the problem, and I found the bubble hour from Google searches and websites like Crying Out Now, um, and I started listening to the bubble hour, and I think those um, podcasts, especially the one about early recovery, really gave me the um, strength and the tools that I needed to go ahead and lay down the sword, as it were, and um, have the courage to get sober, and I'm grateful for you guys. I'm grateful to be here. We're glad you're here, too, and so proud of you. Six months is tremendous. Congratulations on that. Thank you. So now, as you knew that we were going to be phoning tonight and having this conversation, I know you've been spending some time reflecting on this, so would you share with us how you feel like your role as a mom is different now in recovery than when you were drinking? Yeah, um, I, I don't know that I can say that my role has changed, but I think my approach has certainly changed. Um, One thing in very early sobriety that um, changed a lot was putting myself first, which sounds Mm. very selfish, I think, but it's that concept of when an airplane's going down, the oxygen mask drops, you're supposed to put yours on first, right? So if you as the mother can't take care of yourself and comfort yourself and keep yourself safe, then you're really in no position to um, do those things for your kids. And that really uh, just finally sunk in with me. I previously, um, when I was drinking or even before, I had a couple times where I would try not to drink, you know, in years past, I... I still couldn't allow that to be okay. So there would be a lot of anxiety and guilt around taking care of myself first because as a mom, you think that children should come first, et cetera, et cetera. Um, And you know that anxiety and guilt just drives you straight into the ground. So I think in early sobriety, it was very important for me to go ahead and let some things go. I was, I'm a stay-at-home mom. So I'm, and I love to cook, so I was the kind of person who was making a meal every night. I'm talking like recipe meals, you know. Um, Mm -hmm. And in early sobriety, I just kind of let it go, and I said, hey, there's some yogurt in the fridge. (laughs) Figure it out yourself, and I'm going to take a bath. And that was probably (laughs) a little bit shocking for my family, but but they're resilient, and they rolled with it, and um. There's been benefits to that. First of all, I've been able to stay sober thus far, and I'm grateful for that, and I think that's having positive effects on my family. Um, Oh, I lost my train of thought. Well, in regards to approach, I think the the way that my recovery has evolved to this point, I'm much more present for my kids than I was before. Um, It's kind of that dichotomy of, you're supposed to always put the kids first. However, 
you want to get away from them <laughs> all the time, <laughs> right? So there was never any answer except to drink. And and now, you know, I let it be okay if I need to get away from them. Kids are stressful. Being a mom is stressful. Um, it's okay to go take a bath. It's okay to declare that it's cereal night. Um, but also, I am... I want a different life. This is why I got sober. So it's important for me to try to stay present and try to connect with them. Um, and it's had an effect, I think a positive effect on my kids. I feel like they they know that I am here now. When I don't know that last year at this time they could have really said that. Um, additionally, at this point in my recovery, I... Um, I'm learning a lot. I'm learning a lot about accountability and responsibility for my own actions and my own feelings, um, my own reactions to things. So it's been, I want to say fun. It's been fun for me to kind of pass on those lessons to my kids when I can. I had my youngest, my 8-year-old, had a a tantrum today, which I I don't really... (laughs) tolerate tantrums it's like what are you doing um but she had a she had a bit of a tantrum today and I I took her aside and I kept calm and I didn't quote unquote get her in trouble but I had a big talk with her about how you know we're we're a big family we're five people and she's not going to be able to be in control and she has she does not have the right to throw a tantrum like that at those times and she's going to have to find a way to take responsibility for the anger that she feels or the rejection that she feels or whatever it is um, and deal with that in a more positive way. So I think those things to pass on to my kids, um, it's been fun for me. It's been it's been interesting. So, Erin, that lesson that you're, that you're sharing with your daughter is really one of the most basic lessons that we learn in recovery, right, is to to Mm -hmm. take ownership of how you're feeling and how you're acting as a result of how you're feeling and deal with it in a productive way, right? Yeah, deal with it in a productive way instead of being reactive, which I think a lot of us are, um, and finding an easy way to act out, which is what we did when we drank, um, right? You know, so... What can we do instead? We can go talk to somebody else who knows what it's like to be mad. We can write about it. We can sit with it if we need to. Yeah, it's it's an important lesson in recovery, and it's an important lesson in life. And I think a lot of alcoholics didn't learn that lesson somewhere along the line. So this is our chance to figure that out and to pass it on to our kids if we've got Another thing that I'm hearing here, and this this is Catherine, I was just going to say that another thing that I hear you demonstrating is that we don't have to be perfect. I think we're planning a show on perfectionism because it's something that a lot of us seem to to feel. And I I don't have kids, but I get very, very defensive on every mother's behalf in this realm that we have now that's – I'll give you an example. I saw an ad in a store window the other day that was like, Mom, she's gentle, kind, selfless, uh, fit, 
Tom and all these things. And I was like, who is this woman? This woman is She's not human. I, and I really was upset. Like, like somehow we've kind of gotten ourselves into this mindset of this, like, sainted mom who only puts her kids first at her own peril. And I just think that's so problematic. And so the fact that I kind of feel like reiterating what you said of, you know, it's okay to let things go. Like it doesn't have to be the perfect gourmet meal every time. And, you know, I just think that our willingness to go to any lengths to get sober has to be a willingness to let go of this charade of the perfect person, um, mom or otherwise. Mm -hmm. And um, to, I don't know, on a little soapbox tonight, but I just feel feel like that puts too much pressure on on people. And, you, and by by taking time for your recovery, you're showing your kids that you know you can let your slip show. Things don't have to be perfect. That life is good when we connect and take time to be ourselves and to take care of ourselves. Mm-hmm. And be real and be responsible. You know. Right. For, for where we are and what's going on, and um, I think whether you're a mother or not, that pressure to be and look perfect is enormous. And I think we put it on each other, just as women in general. And it's a hateful thing. Um, so yeah, that's that's a great topic for for an, um, another show. But also, you know, it's been interesting with my kids because I start seeing myself in them, and I'm sure all mothers see, you know, little traits in there. In their children, and maybe sometimes it's like, where is that coming from? But a lot of the ways that my kids act out or struggle um, in life, I I get that. I see that. I've had those problems. And, you know, in the recovery community, something that um, is such a important term is just the word me too. Mm-hmm. So it's been amazing to me to be able to take my kids aside in those moments where they're struggling with um, confidence issues or control issues or whatever and be able to be honest with them and say, you know what, me too. I know how that feels. Um, this is what I do. You know, and I'm not perfect. I'm I'm just starting to learn. Um, but if they can kind of learn along with me and have a better chance at an easier life than I had, then then I'm doing that right, right? So that's awesome. awesome. This is this is Amanda, Erin. I have to say I love that so much. Um because that's that's you're teaching your kids acceptance for, you know, feeling how they're feeling and, and being how they are. Like, you know, saying I think a, um, a mom's instant reaction to most things is to say, "Oh, you know, you shouldn't feel that way, you know, because this." And they, you know, um, you know, if to say that you, you know, the child is feeling insecure, like, "Oh, you shouldn't feel that way," you know, um, you know, because you're beautiful, you're smart, you're this and that. Um, I don't know if that's as productive as saying, "You know what? Me too. I feel that way sometimes too." Um, I think that, you know, kids can really relate and respect a mom being, you know, kind of going through the same things and talk about how they got through it. That's just, it's really cool. I like, I love how you do that. Well, I want to say by no means am I perfect there because, you know, 
75% of the time I am like, would you just stop crying, please? Because, you know, <laughs> it, it gets exhausting. There's three of them. Children are relentless. They're, they're human beings who are living with you all the time, 24-7 and um, usually. And, and it gets exhausting. So I just have to be honest there. You know, no one's perfect. But these lessons that I'm learning in recovery, it's been nice to find moments to pass those on to the kids. So I don't want to act like I do this all the time. <laughs> <laughs> well, that is beautiful. Now, I want to bring Anne into this discussion so that all of us can, can jump in on on these points. So, Anne, welcome to the Bubble Hour. And let's start by having you tell us a little bit about yourself and your recovery journey so far. Okay. Um, I kind of wrote something because I was worried that I would be nervous and get scattered. So, So I'm going to start by kind of reading this and then totally open to discussing whatever. Um, so my name is Anne. I'm 42, and I'm the mother of two kids um, who are 9 and 11, uh, and I work full-time. Um, I've always liked to drink. When I was a teenager, it helped me break free of the good girl stereotype and do things that maybe I couldn't have done otherwise. It made me brighter, louder, and braver. When I went to university, I found binge drinking on the weekends was expected and normal. Uh, there was no problem with that for me. I was an engineering student, and a lot of our activities revolved around drinking, and so I was in my element there. I met my husband at university. He was a football player and was also a big partier, so we were perfect for each other. We finished the university and ended up moving to a smaller city in northern Alberta, uh, the town with lots of money and a lot of drinking, which was fine for us. Uh, we're active in the community. Uh, we have good, well-paying jobs and a large circle of friends who I would say also have been hard drinkers. Um, and then over the years, we had our two kids, and, and really life was pretty good here. Uh, over the years, as our kids grew up, uh, our house is kind of party central. Uh, weekend nights, any sporting events, dance shows, etc. you know, people came to our house, and, and uh, sort of like Aaron said, um, the kids would watch movies, play games, whatever, and the parents would hang around the kitchen and drink. Uh, there were lots of kids, and the kids played, and uh, people were responsible. They took cabs, and, and I would say the drinking was social, if excessive. Um, but over the last few years, I started finding it harder and harder to limit my own drinking to the Friday and Saturday nights. Um, the glasses of wine became normal weeknight occurrences, and then they get, it became more and more. And I became more and more unhappy and discontent, and I kept wondering what was wrong. So I decided that I needed to fix myself. So for a few years, I've tried everything. I exercised excessively. I starved. I lost weight. I did more and more and better and better. But still, I would wake up in the night full of self-loathing and shame and saying, why can I do all these other things, but I just can't get my drinking under control? On Monday mornings, I would wake up full of anxiety and feel terrible, and I would swear that I was done, that I would only drink beer, that I would only have one glass of wine, that it would only be the weekend. And with this, my anxiety grew and grew. Finally, um, you know, it went on for a few years, and I, I knew I had to change something, and I had many day ones, and I, but I just really didn't know how to make the change. Along the way, my husband continued to drink with me, which really made it easier for me because I had no one criticizing my choices. Last December, a friend of ours took my husband aside and, uh, and told him that he, they thought he was drinking too much and that they were worried about him and thought he should get help. 
he's always kind of been a life of the party drinker, and it's not, never been a secret that he liked to drink. But he took this advice to heart and decided that he would do something about getting his own drinking out of control, under control, sorry. I saw this as a lifeline for me. And I said, We're, we'll do it together. It was a ray of hope for me to get my own drinking under, under control. We emptied the house of booze that day. And that was my that was my day one. That was December 1st, 2013. So it's been a long and crazy journey for us. Uh, my husband ended up going to a six-week inpatient program hours away from our house. And really because of that, we decided that we had to be open with our kids. We told them together that we decided that alcohol was causing problems in our lives and that we were going to make a change, uh, that Dad was going to have to go away to do this because he went and asked for help for a problem. And when you do that, you have to follow through with help that's recommended. We were honest that he really didn't want to go and that we would all miss him, but sometimes you just have to do the hard things in life to make things better in the end. The kids were very supportive, although very upset. Um, and during this time, I brought them to see a therapist, and I went myself as well, because I, I really was unsure how to deal with this kind of stress and change within our house. Um, they both loved that, and uh, definitely mental health is a thing that's talked about a lot at school now. And so my daughter especially loves to talk about her therapist and whenever she goes. <laughs> and so they also helped develop quite a few different tools to deal with other types of stress that they've encountered. So without alcohol in my life, my lifelong anxiety became pretty uncontrollable and I became severely depressed while my husband was away. I was newly sober, isolating and insisting that I was going to do this all on my own. And so I went, I continued, I started going to the therapist regularly. I started taking some medication to deal with the depression. I did a lot of yoga and I managed to get through the time, this time. Um, I was really afraid that I would drink to deal with this stress, but I didn't. And so when my husband came back from treatment, um, that was in February, life has become very different and better in almost any, every way possible. We hang out together, but instead of drinking on the couch, we go get coffee and play a lot more with the kids. We go to recovery meetings together, and the kids know that when we do that, that we're going to talk to other people for support with drinking and other personal problems. It's been an amazingly positive change for our family. For myself, addressing was which, something that was clearly long-term depression and anxiety that I've been trying to drown with wine has been critical. I myself am kinder and gentler, both to myself and to my family. And I would say, although my role at home has not changed significantly, my husband and I now are a much more united team. So that was my prepared speech. <laughs> That was fantastic. I just, this is Dean. I just want to thank you so much for sharing that story because um, I, like many other people, also drank to sort of self-medicate anxiety. I didn't realize it at the time, but that's really what I was doing. And um, and you and I connected through my blog. Um, yes. Early on, when you were in that stage of I'm, I'm going to do this on my own. I'm going to do this quietly and. And um, so I've had the joy of sort of being in touch with you from early in your journey and seeing the difference that it's made for you to connect with other people and to open up to your family and for you and your husband to really, you know, be together. And this is just so, so cool. So I'm just cheering for you. I'm doing a little dance in my chair listening to you. 
<laughs> but let's let's talk about your your kids and and how it is for them. Um, so tell us some of the some of the um, conversations you've had, or maybe some of the most useful terms or or images or something that you you learned to um, help express this to them and understand the situation for your family. You know, I guess using the therapist was really helpful for me. You know, our, the reality is is we had a lot of conversations going on in our house between the two of us about, you know, when this person, you know, intervened with my husband, you know, he was mad. And so he came home, was upset, kind of, you know, rant, ranting, let's say. I mean, at that point, I would say he really didn't feel he had a problem he would say he was just a big drinker. And so the kids heard a lot of that. And and so as it sort of evolved into, you know, the, the instant stress went down, a plan kind of came into place, he started going to see his, like through our employee program, a therapist. You know, we finally sat down and said, you know, the reality is is sometimes people do things like drink, and, and it, while you see everyone doing it, it can become a problem. And the problem you might not see, but, but inside you decide that it's not what's right for you. And so it was interesting because our son was like, oh, well, you know, you can just stop drinking for a few weeks and go back to it. Mm-hmm. And, and I'm like, no, you know, it's bigger than that. Mm-hmm. And, but I, I really think that um, society, like especially where we are, and, and probably a lot of our friends, because you know, they were the people that were our friends. But they do see drinking as a pretty normal occurrence. Yeah, kids are exposed to it on TV and just in life in general, right? Yeah. Um, and one of the things that I think we really want to make sure we get across in our discussion tonight is that there's no right or wrong way or that we're we're not taking a position that anyone should tell their kids or shouldn't tell their kids. It really is what fits for your family. And so it sounds like, you know, your kids saw enough and heard enough and were part of the dialogue early on that it flowed quite naturally for them to be, you know, continuing to be really aware of what was going on with you guys. Yeah. Is that that a fair assessment? It is. And, I mean, you know, when somebody is going away to treatment, like, we would have gone to see him, but it was far enough away and it was in the dead of winter. You know, it would have been like an eight-hour drive for us. And so, you know, we would have been allowed to go visit for like a couple hours a week, but I didn't bring the kids there. If it had been more convenient, I would have had to really think about whether I would have or wouldn't have. Mm-hmm. I probably would have only because I know that their dad really missed them. But, you know, like there's a kind of a point where, like, even still when I talk about it, I'm like it just seems so unreal <laughs> unre- or surreal, I guess, that he ever went to a treatment place to begin with. But at the same time, I recommend it to people all the time now. So, um, <laughs> but, but you know, you know it's, it is hard. They are at a kind of in-between age. But, you know, if someone's going away for six weeks, it's very difficult to not tell them why. Right. You know? Right. And, um, yeah. So so p- part of it was that. I will say for me, a lot of times, 
because I was more of a quiet drinker, I often have to sort of emphasize that I'm involved in it as well. You know, that I'm also in recovery, that I've also, if if anything, I had a more, I mean, I don't want to say my problem is bigger than his problem because that sounds crazy. <laughs> but, but I think mine, my, I was, it was killing me. <laughs> mm-hmm. And so, you know, when someone intervened with him, I was quite frustrated that I was like, how come no one can see my, <laughs> that I need the help? But, um but, you know, the, the kids have been really supportive for that side, too, where, you know, I'm like, I want to change because I really want to be the present, calm person that Aaron was talking about earlier. Yeah. And I think this, oh, is, this is Catherine, that that, that that honesty with your family is a step of being honest with yourself. I mean, and that's just such a key thing. Of We hear it a lot, actually, from women who say, well, my family kind of protested that I didn't need to stop because I was so busy being perfect or just I was so secretive about my drinking. We hear that a lot from women. Um mm-hmm. right. That that they're that they're drinking and their family doesn't even see um the problem. And so Yeah, because we've spent a lot we put a lot of effort into making sure that things from the outside look good. Exactly right, yeah. This is Jean. That was 100% my experience. And because of that, my kids really didn't know um, and really didn't, you know, see the full impact that it was having on my life. And and so for me, my children are older. They were all in their late teens when I quit drinking, and now they're in their 20s and, you know, leaving home. And and um, so I've sort of taken a really slow approach with them. And they they know. I told them right away that I had quit, but I really never talk to them fully about the extent of my recovery or even the extent of of what I had been going through before I quit. And and I think that's, Erin, that's a little bit about how um, your decision unfolded, is it not, too, that your kids really didn't see too much, so it 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 wasn't forced upon you to have to tell them. Is that is that a fair assessment? It's a decently fair assessment. I I have to say first of all that the people who really have no choice but to tell their kids, like in Anne's case, um, I I think that's incredible. I think it's incredibly brave, incredibly honorable. The people who don't necessarily have to talk about it and choose to openly, that's amazing to me too. Um, you know where I am, I don't know. I don't know what my kids saw or were aware of, um, and, and sort of that that's part of me coming out of my fog and, and getting to know my kids again and, and see, you know, how much did they see, how much do they know, how much do they trust me or not. Um, these are things that are on my recovery to-do list. <laughs> Well, tell us about how you have handled the topic in in your household, or what your thoughts are around that whole okay. idea yeah. and process. Yeah, I, I don't. I, okay, I don't talk openly to my kids about recovery or sobriety. Um, there are some reasons for that. You know, first of all, I think when when we decide to get sober and start working on that, we realize how much um, fear 
and shame we've been living under. And when we think about talking to our kids, I think it's natural not to want to show your kids your humanity, your flaws. Um, so, so that has played into my decision not to talk to them. Um, at the same time, I do attend 12-step recovery meetings, um, and my kids know that I attend meetings, so they ask me about the meetings. Uh, sometimes I just say, you know, I'm going to a meeting, and they'll say, okay. But they've started to ask me about them, and I tell them, um, I go and talk with a group of people who are trying to make their lives better. That's just, I mean, I just keep it simple, I guess, and that's the best thing that I can think to tell them. I, I just, I attended a meeting tonight, and I got home, and my middle child, my um, 10-year-old, was asking me, what do you do at, at those meetings? <laughs> and I said, well, you know, usually we just kind of sit around and talk. And she was like, what do you talk about? Like, what's the meaning of life and things like that? And I said, well, we don't talk about the meaning of life necessarily, but we talk about um, how to be more responsible in life, how to lead a better life, how to have a happy life, um, things like that, you know. Maybe in a sense, that maybe I should give myself a little bit of credit here. I am telling them the truth. Um, I'm not I'm not confronting the alcoholism topic at this point. Um, but I, but I, you know, that's what I tell them about meetings. And they that satisfies them at this point. Well, and um, I think this is Catherine. I mean, I just think that, like, being open about the fact that mom and dad and grown-ups have problems too, and the best way of dealing with them is by, you know, connecting with other people and asking for help. Like, that right there models a lot of behavior. I mean, myself, I know that I'm now 39 years old and completely under-resourced about trusting other people and I'm only now learning how to connect and ask for help. And so to if you know to see that modeled in a grown-up, I think that's really powerful. Yeah. Thank you. Yeah, this is Anne. And I just want to say, you know, when we do talk, I I have to say we don't talk a lot. I mean, the kids are still young enough. We don't talk a lot specifically about addiction. Uh, it uh, outside of obviously they realize drinking is sort of like a I'm going to use the word vice <laughs> um, or something that people do want to do less of and so um, mainly be- because uh, I, my husband is doing it partly as you know as a because he used our employee program it, it includes sort of like a couple years of monitoring. I'm going to say he might not have decided that he himself thinks he's an alcoholic. So, so you know, I, I don't want to – we haven't created a household um, view definitely that alcohol is bad or that we'll never drink again. But just that – yeah, but that this is an issue that we're dealing with at the time and um, and that neither of us are drinking currently. And I don't – I haven't found them asking a huge amount about a lot of it anyways. Um it's more, 
for me, because anxiety came out as, as a real issue for me, and my daughter, who's nine, is, I'm going to say, extremely anxious herself, that has become more of a, you know, I'm using it as a, it's opened lines of communication on things like that, because that I, I didn't realize anxiety was actually a real thing, <laughs> you know, like that you could be diagnosed with anxiety or disorders, and um, and, and clearly that's been a real problem for me, and so... Opening those doors is, is, has has been part of this for us. That's so important. This is Jean, and I'm thinking of an expression. I don't know that I have it in my mind exactly right, but it's to the effect of um, don't worry whether or not your kids are overhearing or listening to everything you say. What should concern you is that they are watching everything you do. <laughs> and that what we model, how we live, um, is what has a much bigger impact on them than, you know, the the things we remember to say at the right times or not. Um, so I think in all of our cases we're modeling a life of identifying a problem and taking action on that problem. And I think that's so important for, for young people to have that modeled for them with as it applies to a number of things. So... And and I think, Erin, that's what you were talking about earlier, too, is that the things we model by addressing a problem in our life and changing it are tools that we can apply to all different areas of our life. And that if someone had maybe shared those with us when we were younger, maybe we wouldn't have gotten to this point as we're older, too. So this brings me kind of around to something else that I was thinking of as well, which is that you know we know that there's definitely a genetic component to addiction, and so I'm always really mindful of the fact that, um, you know, my kids do need me to um, share these tools or to um, watch out for them and try and help them understand it as it relates to them as they go forward in their life because there's a very good chance that, you know, they, they carry that gene. I mean, they're my kids and I have it. So um, how do you guys feel about that? Is that something that you're kind of watching for or thinking about with your kids that more than just the modeling of it but just sort of knowing that maybe we have a responsibility to sort of prepare them for this genetic possibility Erin what's your thoughts on that well it's funny because I was thinking about that um, before we started tonight and you know ultimately I do feel like I have a responsibility to help my kids be aware of addiction and any role that it has played within my family. Um, Where I am right now is staying in the day. Because I do see, there are traits you see in your kids and your, I think we have a tendency to overreact just a touch and be like, oh my gosh, she wants a fish cookie. You know what I mean? (laughs) A child cannot stop eating cookies, and this is going to turn into whatever, whatever. (laughs) Um, And you can really freak yourself out that way. I think a good good term we have for that is future tripping, right? (laughs) Right. So I really really try to stay in the day um, where that's concerned, because I can get myself worked up over all sorts of little traits or qualities that I see in my kids. Um, but what are we going to do today? How are we going to handle today? Um, that's just where I am in my journey at this point. 
So and are I think you this open is Catherine, to- this is a really good point though that that it's it's important that we're established in our own sobriety before we take on other big outside projects. So I think that's a really good point. Well, and that is one of my points. Um, you know, I'm almost six months sober, and I that that sounds great, but I'm 36 years old. Six months in the lifetime of a 36-year-old is really not that much time. I mean, I'm just going to be honest. Um, I'm grateful for the sober time that I've had, and I am going to stay sober today, and I hope I can stay sober tomorrow. Um, I'm... I do have some fear around the issue of if I pick up a drink again in the future. And what I cannot stand to do is to give my kids a hypocritical or mixed message. So I'm very um, wary, I guess, of making sure that I really am where I think I am. Does that make sense? Yeah, in regards to recovery. Mm-hmm. It sounds to me like you want to make sure that you're really clear on and really centered on what the message is in your heart before you start playing around with with trying to explain it um, to the people that matter absolutely the most to you, right? Yeah, and it's it's funny because one of my notes here to to talk about tonight is <laughs> around thirty or forty days sober. I think um, I just felt on fire. I wanted to come out on my Facebook page. I wanted to call my mom. I wanted to run and tell my neighbors, right? I was so excited that I was sober and in recovery and I was doing it and I was awesome. Um, I'm so grateful that I didn't do that. Not because I, <laughs> not because I need to be ashamed of um having an addictive personality or being an alcoholic or being in recovery. I'm not ashamed of those things. But this is a tricky world, and people's opinions, unfortunately, can matter um, in the lives of your kids and in, in the community in which you live. So for me, just for me, it's been important for me to <laughs> slow my roll, if you will, Um and chill out a little bit because there are those times when I do just get on fire about recovery, just so excited, right, which is awesome. I love recovery. I love the recovery community. I love um, the recovery tools. But I need to make sure that this is actually the life that I'm going to live. I I just, and maybe it's an issue of self-trust, but I just need to know that I'm going to be honest and I'm going to be genuine, and I'm going to be authentic when I present those kinds of declarations to people. Mm. This this seems like, this is Catherine, this is one of those times when I I love the saying, more will be revealed, mm-hmm. that, you know, we don't have to boil the ocean, which is sometimes I think what we get really excited to do in early recovery. And it's like, just one day at a time, you know, attend to your program like you're doing. I'm really inspired by your program, Erin. I I just, this is very helpful for me to hear. And so, you know, staying in the moment and more will be revealed, you know. 
I hope so. This is Jean, Erin. This is Jean, and I, I was um, thinking that there's been lots of times, too, where I've thought, oh, I am just going to just post it on Facebook because, you know what, I've been in recovery for over three years now. There is, most people know, you know, I just want to put it out there. And uh, same thing, I'm glad that I haven't sort of just given in to that spontaneity because um, what I have found is that when I do share with people, it's a little bit different with each person that I share it with. And, and some people really want to know more, and some people are a little bit intimidated by hearing something so personal and, you know, they need some time to absorb it or to maybe um, get comfortable with talking with me about it. And, and so, you know... And some people might throw you under the bus. <laughs> well... You, which would I think I'm past that. But you know, the thing here's the other thing that came through, and I think I heard it in what you were saying too. I have to remember that um, what I do, my, my kids live with everything I do too, right? So if I take a picture of them in their underwear, you know, with a, um, I don't know, like a spaghetti strainer on their head being goofy, you know, I'm not going to post that on Facebook because that's going to affect them. Okay, they haven't done that, but I'm. <laughs> Um, you know, I, I, I'm always mindful of that as a mom that listen what I do. It might be my choice to, to be really open, um, but it's not necessarily their choice as young adults. And so I think, you know, that's something, too, that we kind of have to consider about um, how we come forward can impact their lives as well, even if we're willing to wear that mantle in our life. Um, they may not be quite ready to quite ready for that identity themselves as the child of dot, dot, dot. So things to consider, right? I don't have a right or wrong position on it. I'm just saying it's those are things that I'm really thinking about and looking for answers for. And I have a cute story for you that my friend Dawn told me recently of how in her family they were very open with their children about recovery and their kids would actually go to their um, recovery meetings and, and, you know, color at a table in the corner, and and um, anyway, and her daughter would tell everybody, my parents are in recovery. <laughs> so finally, her mom had to pull her side and say, okay, there's the anonymous part. <laughs> remember the anonymous part? Let's let's try and remember that, okay? And um, she was glad that her daughter was so proud of her and comfortable with it. But you know, it was just I thought it was so cute that that she had to be reminded that it wasn't hers to share. Um, one of the things that I wanted to talk about a little bit and get your thoughts on, you guys, is stigma and shame. It's something that comes up a lot on the bubble hour. Um, it goes hand in hand with addiction, and, and we talked earlier about how society is especially hard on mothers, and mothers are hard on themselves. So how did stigma and shame play a role in in your experience and and how do you feel about it as it relates to, to you and your kids and your family? And what do you think? Um, well, I guess, to be totally honest, I guess shame is really what prevented me from ever looking for help. Um, you know, I, and it was, a, it was all internalized shame, that, that, that feeling of inadequacy or what was wrong with me that I, I've recognized a problem and that I was unable to sort of see the solution or, or follow through with my own solution when I had been successful in sort of everything else in my life. And and I am quite perfectionist.
perfectionist <laughs> and extreme, which I suppose is <laughs> part of this. But, um, but you know, that shame kept me many years ago from maybe looking for professional help to deal with the underlying anxiety and depression. And so, um, but since since this all happened, and and I will I will say, you know, if I don't feel stigma. And, but I wouldn't necessarily go up to someone and say, hey, I'm an alcoholic. I would say, oh, I quit drinking. It wasn't working for me. I was struggling with it. It was hurting me. And I decided it's, I can't, I'm not doing it anymore. I'm totally open and talk quite a bit with people about therapy and depression. And I find people love to talk back. <laughs> and most of them also bring up issues with drinking as well when you do that. But um, but but really, the shame more than anything d- disabled me from getting help, and and so now I feel I, I really feel you know when I run into someone that I know at a recovery meeting, which has happened because we are a small city, I don't feel any shame whatsoever. I I would feel you know I guess I I feel almost the opposite, which is. I'm doing something about a problem that I have and and I'm open-minded about how I'm approaching it. And we I will say our our situation again is slightly different because my husband's because work was involved, it wasn't as confidential as you might as it would be for a person who just went on their own for treatment. Right. So people know people people know but but again people are really supportive but we have occasionally run into somebody who acts differently and it's the only reason that I can possibly fathom and it's disappointing but you know I mean I I I feel well for him what can he do <laughs> he, he he needed he needed to do this it was it was the right thing to do so do you find that that maybe that response comes from within themselves that it's their own discomfort? Maybe they see a little bit of themselves um, and they're uncomfortable with that, or you know, is it just I definitely, of- I definitely think that it's partly that. You know, we we had one friend who we used to carpool with, and then suddenly she wanted to do all the driving, and I'm and you know, in the end, my big thought was, well, he's back from treatment, and he's like sober you knew him all these years when he was drunk all the time and you didn't care like what possibly changed but you know people you you do have to really think about responses and and i you know i think i'm my take on a lot of shame stigma um telling your story is all i'm big on you know you do it situationally you know, if someone comes to you and talks about their problem, you decide if you're willing to share yours. But I would be reluctant, like you said, to to post anything on Facebook that, that sort of friends of friends of friends are reading and are taking their own interpretation of anyways. Right, right. You know, yeah. So I, I think it's it's better that way. And, and for me, the funny thing was it took me probably until March before I would even say, I even thought I was in recovery. I didn't like this idea of recovery. I had just quit drinking. <laughs> and, right. and now, now I'm no like, wow, deal. look at all this. <laughs> look at it. But it's opened a whole new world that I would have missed out on that I actually love. So, but, but I would have just said, no, I've changed. But that, I think that I'm glad I didn't stick with that perspective. 
this is Jean. You know what occurs to me as you're saying um, situational, telling people, you know, in, in different situations. Maybe we can say that the same is true for our kids, and particularly um, as our kids get older, that they're each different, and and maybe how we tell each of them um, could or should be approached differently. When my kids were younger, you know, everything was a family meeting, and, you know, we had a spoon, and when it was your turn to talk, you held the spoon. It was all very organized because I am a control freak and I was was drinking and I was (laughs) not in touch with my issues. Um, But now it occurs to me that, you know, as they're older, they each have a different response and a different comfort level with this. And just I'll give you an example. Um, I had said something to my 16-year-old one day about about genetics. And like I said, they, they know that I've quit drinking and, and they know I blog but they don't really they don't I haven't talked to them a whole lot about it. I have three boys and they're just not it's we're not a talky family about that kind of stuff, I guess. But I, I mentioned to my my son when he was 16, you know, you you need to be careful cuz you do have crappy my crappy genetics for alcoholism. And he, and he just looked at me, okay, you picture a 16-year-old kid looking at his mom as we're driving in the car and just giving me that Stink eye, side eye look, and he says, "You're you weren't an alcoholic." And you know, my knee jerk reaction in life is that I love to be right. And so, if someone tells me something, and I and I can be right, I like I go at them like a pit bull, proving my point. <laughs> but in this case, let me tell thanks. you something, honey. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> you but in this no case, idea. I kind of I, I thought this is. This is not about whether or not this is true. Like, this isn't the moment to discuss this, you know. And so all I just said was, well, you know, um, that's that's only only I know that, and that's that's a question that only I can answer. And and um, and in my heart, I just sort of thought, we're going to save that for another day. Like, <laughs> this is this is not a day I could convince. Some days you can't convince your teenagers of anything, right? And that's okay because it's not about the issue and it's not about the right or wrong at that moment. It's about a generational power struggle. So, so you know, in that case, I kind of thought, well, I'm going to cool it. I'm going to take the long approach. And and over time, you know, these conversations will unfold. I've got the rest of his life to help him understand this whole thing and how it impacts me and how it impacts him but meanwhile, I can really demonstrate how I live day by day and feel really good about how I'm living. So th- there's food for thought that the wooden spoon family meeting is extremely effective in a lot of cases, especially when the kids are younger. But maybe as they get older, um, one way to consider is kind of a individual approach. Erin, food for thought for you as your kids get older and and uh, and the topic sort of um, ebbs and flows, right, as, as through your life and, and theirs. Yeah, because, uh, you know, different kids have different levels of understanding um, and certainly are at different stages in their lives of understanding. So the situational approach is perhaps what I'm banking on. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, yeah. I, I do Just want staying to staying open, you. right? Yeah, absolutely, and and trying to walk through that door when it presents itself. That you know, that's where the fear I think for me comes through, and 
And, um, yeah, I, I hope that those moments that open up, I'm able to take advantage of those, notice them and take advantage of them. I did want to touch a little bit on the thing of shame because it's funny, I have... I have a bit of an opposite um, experience with shame. I I think when I was drinking, I had no shame. I really didn't. I I kind of the those people that I remember um, Sasha Skoblik being on the show, the author of Unwasted, mm-hmm. and I loved what mm-hmm. she said about her Sid Vicious personality. And I really that's how I was when I was drinking. I did not sneak anything. I didn't hide anything. I really thought I was the bee's knees. I thought I was pretty much the baddest mother on the block, right? Um, And I didn't care. I liked that personality. Um, Now that I'm in recovery, I would term it a little bit differently. I think I was a nihilist. I mean, I, I just think I was set out to destroy myself. It only was in recovery that it occurred to me that I should possibly be ashamed of some of my behavior, so that's been interesting, if that makes any sense at all. Um, and also, I think in recovery, where shame comes in for me is that question of how is this going to affect the life of my family, um, the reputation of my family, the the way that my children are seen, the way that I'm seen by um, my children's friends, parents, that kind of thing. I don't you know, I don't have the answers to those, and those are worth considering, especially because I I see myself as someone that didn't have any shame, didn't have any boundaries. <laughs> you can maybe translate it that way. Um, so I think the more cautious road that I'm on here um, is probably a healthy one for me mm-hmm. personally. Well, it, this is Anne. I, I think that that's. I think that's exactly what you need is is what feels good for you, right? Because my husband, as much as he can't, I mean, some of his, he does keep a lot of the rest of his recovery private. He would have chosen to keep it all private, you know. Whereas I, I have this feeling of. You know, I've made it a change, and it's for the better, and it and it's improved my own situation so much that that why should I why should I want to hide it? And so sometimes he has to tone me down because I do get that I don't know. Um, but you know, like I, I just I often think it's like you know, anyone who looked at it and said, oh, if someone looked at me and said this something negative about being in recovery, I just think you knew me those years, and I mean, I was. For years, I was a fun, lively drinker as well. It's, it was the last few years that were really sucking me down and were, were clearly having a problem and not being able to get it under control is mentally draining. Um, but uh, but I always think, you know, who would hold it against me that I'm not drinking now? Uh-huh. <laughs> but, 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 I, but, I, but I know I know the reality is that people do make assumptions about you and and uh and it is it is hard and i don't know if you live like the city i live in is quite small so i mean people know us so so that is definitely a consideration um yeah and i think there's that you know there is a tradition of anonymity in recovery because it really is up to each person to decide how it fits in their life and 
you know, for those of us that that are willing to go out and talk openly about it, that gives us a chance to to show people what recovery looks like. And you know, and I can hear a joy and a confidence in your voice that I think it must be just such just so joyful for people. I guess for all of us really when we do talk recovery with them to hear, "Hey, this is a solution." Like my friends that know about my recovery t- tell me all the time like this is something to be proud of like this is this is a superpower this is awesome um but you know we we do still want to protect ourselves a little bit i do i did have something i wanted to share on the air tonight because you know we're talking about kids who may or may not have known the extent of what their parents were dealing with but the sad reality is that a lot of kids know all too well about um, their parents' struggles. They, um, you know, for people that really hit a low bottom before they're able to get help, um, unfortunately, they they will tell you that their kids may see far too much. Um, so, I wanted to share um, the seven C's, letter C, that is, and this comes from the National Association for Children of Alcoholics. And what they suggest is that kids who are very aware of uh, a parent's struggle with addiction, need to know the seven C's. And those C's are that I didn't cause it, I can't, and so this is for the child's perspective, the child didn't cause it, can't cure it, can't control it, the child can care for themselves by communicating feelings and making healthy choices and by celebrating themselves. So, didn't cause it, can't cure it, can't control it, but can care and communicate, make good choices, and celebrate themselves. And so those are really the goals of getting across to a child when a parent is in recovery, that it's not about them. And as kids, you know, we all thought this, that everything that happened in the world was our fault, right? That everything um, came from us. So it's, it's possible for kids to think that they're the that they're caused their parents to turn to um, a substance that got them addicted and that somehow they're to blame for it. So it's really important that they understand that that's not the case. And now just as we're kind of getting ready to close the show, we're about running out of time, but I wanted to read to you a few things that some other moms had written in and just um, get your take on those things. And Catherine and Amanda, do you have those quotes in front of you as well or am I the only one that has them? Got them. You got them? Okay, well, let's um, take some turns and we'll read through these a little bit quickly. Um, I'll read the first one, and this one came from Susan, who said, When I thought my girls were 16 and 18, there was no need for delicate, diplomatic words as they had seen a lot. Still, I opted for rigorous honesty because I grew up in a home where there were elephants in the room, and I created a house where we walked on eggshells from the get-go. I wanted to be a truth-teller. My inclination was to say, oh, I'm going out for an hour, I'll be right back. But I decided for me, and someday it may be very well one or both of them, to talk openly and honestly and frequently about recovery. So that was from Susan. Um, Catherine, would you read the next one? Sure. From This is from Sarah, mother of two daughters, ages 21 and 24. I've been completely open and honest about the addictive nature of alcohol, that it runs in our family, that you cannot use it to cope, and that it's quite sneaky. I speak about my recovery tools on a daily basis, 
and have introduced them to my recovery friends. I have expressed a great deal of pride in my recovery and the hard work I have put into it. My daughters now view it as a gift. That's great. Um, so this is, I don't have the person's name, but uh, my boys, almost 13 and 17, saw a lot of horrible stuff they shouldn't have with my drinking, so they have been along every step of my sobriety journey. Oh, and that's from Elizabeth. And Amanda says, and that's not you, Amanda. <laughs> Another Amanda says, my kids are two and seven. I'm not telling them now, but I absolutely will when they get older. Megan says, my seven-year-old knows I don't drink and doesn't really remember much from when I did. We've discussed it like it's an allergy. Her father also drinks, so we have had conversations about how to know when someone has had too much, etc. My three-year-old has no idea, but when he's a bit older, we will talk as well. This one comes from Angel, whose daughter is 14. I really wanted her to learn and understand that there's so much in the world besides drinking, especially in a culture that holds the activity to such high regard. We talk about different and healthy coping skills, self-worth, and self-care. We also talk about the fact that both of her parents are alcoholics and that this is a bio, oh, help me, Catherine, biopsychosocial disease, (laughs) so she is at higher risk of being an alcoholic. Um, My seven-year-old twins know that I don't drink alcohol and they know that I used to drink wine. I haven't explained why yet. I will tell them when they are older and I think they can understand it better. They know that their grandfather, my father, died from alcoholism, and that was from Aaron. And Amy says, my daughter, five, doesn't really get it, but my son, age seven, is very watchful and inquisitive. I have talked with him about alcoholism and how it sometimes runs in families. He brings it up quite often because I think he needs to know that everything is okay. He needs to feel safe. He remembers what it was like when I was active in my disease and often talks about how things are better now. It breaks my heart that my alcoholism had such an impact on him. This one comes from Elise, uh, who grew up with alcoholic parents, and she says she was often asked to look out for the alcoholic in her household, a responsibility that was unfairly asked of her. So she says this, When I was 14, I went behind my parents' back to Al-Anon. I had heard at school that they had special teen groups, maybe in health class. Someone would carpool us, which was great because I could never have gotten there myself. The meetings were about how to deal as a teen, how it feels when you can't have friends over can't rely on your parents driving and all that stuff, coping, what to do. I loved it, and it was wonderful. My parents found out after a couple of months, and they were pretty sick and didn't want me telling people family laundry, so I had to start going. But it was the first really helpful window and feeling like I wasn't alone. It was just a few months, and I think of it so often. Um, uh, This is Amanda. I just want to pipe in and mention um, that we did a show on adult children of alcoholics a month or so ago. And actually, for any of the moms listening tonight, that's a really good show or um, to listen to. Just because um, I personally, you know, when we were doing the show, I was like, oh, you know, I'll have to find some people who can relate. And my biological father and stepfather are both alcoholics, and so I grew up in with alcoholism and. Preparing for that show, I was amazed at some of the things that um, 
had impacted me um, from growing up with alcoholism, even though it, 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 I guess I wasn't even that aware of it. I didn't, I never felt that um, my father was an alcoholic growing up, but um, or my stepfather, who I grew up with. So it's just, um, it's really good, um, you know, character traits to look out for, and also, you know, one of the things that it talks about is getting your children help early on. Um, so I just thought I'd pipe in with that. And now I'll read yeah, definitely. the next quote. Oh, go ahead. Oh, I was just going to say that that episode, I think a lot of people listen to it, even if they um, aren't themselves children of alcoholics, they listen to it from the perspective of a parent to try to gain some tools for conversations with their kids. So that's a great recommendation. Yeah. So go ahead and read the next one from Samantha. Okay, so um, Samantha said, I see this as my life's purpose now, to show my son and possibly by association others how to be resilient and know he has an inner strength, as we all do, and, of course, to live his very best life by trying to live my very best life. Why would I ever want to keep that under wraps? And Kelly, who has four kids, ages 20, 17, 13, and 10, We've started discussing it together, like when we see a t- see drinking glorified in a TV show or a movie. We'll pause and discuss it. We've talked about how odd it is that our society glorifies it so much when it causes so much harm and deaths. We talk about and ponder why it is so socially acceptable when other drugs aren't. And most of all, I want them to know that while the choice will be theirs as they get older as to whether to drink or not, if they do, they need to know that they are experimenting with a drug. They're playing with fire, and they need to really be mindful of that. So those are some pretty powerful statements from a number of different families. And I think we see a lot of different perspectives there, but I think my favorite one was, um, I mean, they're all great. I just really I think we all are saying this in our own ways that what Samantha said I see this as my life's purpose now to show my son how to be resilient and that he has an inner strength I think that's what we're all really want to do as as parents as aunts as as just older role models of of other of kids um, is to just really show them that we're living a solution whether we discuss all the nitty-gritty details of it or not um Erin, do you have any last thoughts to share before we uh, close off for the night? Um, yeah, I guess, you know, what I would say to myself and others is that really wherever you are is okay. Um, I've sort of been working on that concept for the last couple of weeks um, because sobriety or the um, journey to sobriety is really full of ups and downs. But the fact that we are paying attention now, the fact that we're talking about these things now, um, that's enough sometimes. We need to set these things before us. We need to start examining why we're doing or not doing the things that um, we're doing, what our motivations are around those things, um, and whatever your motivation is, I mean, I, I have realized, you know, a lot of the reasons, the reason why I have not come out to my kids um, is because of fear. Well, you know what? So it is, and that's okay, and that's mm-hmm. what I have to work on now. I mean, now that I know that, I have the responsibility 
to walk forward with that knowledge and decide what I'm going to do with it. I don't want to live a life in fear. I don't want my kids to live their lives in fear or in ignorance. So now I have something before me that I have to deal with, and it, it's a complex problem. Um, you know, I, I admire, I, I'm a little jealous that um, Anne and her husband are in recovery together. I mean, that's fascinating to me. I have a spouse who is still drinking, so I have to factor in his behavior, oops, sorry, his behavior and activity into how I explain this to my kids because I don't want to vilify him, but I also don't want to pretend that his kind of drinking is completely okay. So it's tricky, um, and that's okay. <laughs> that's where I am. And I'm going to, you know, keep moving forward. And I've, I'm so grateful to be on this show tonight. I've I've learned a lot. I've heard a lot. I'm going to go back and listen to it again. Um, <laughs> I am because, you know, there are things that I needed to hear here. And that situational thing is, is huge. I can take it as it comes. It's it's okay, and, and my kids are at good ages for that. You know, we'll we'll kind of walk this road together. Erin, you and have you been have... so open and so genuine and vulnerable with us, and I I just I can't thank you enough um, because that this is these are the conversations that really help all of us move forward, and it's it's important that we don't only talk to people that have everything figured out and and can just preach the answers. You know. Um, recovery is really about being on a journey together, and so I just I am so grateful for everything you shared tonight. It was just really, really great. Well, Anne Marie, so oh thank you. And Anne Marie, do you have any closing thoughts for us before we sign off for the night? Um, I guess I'd just like to say, you know, I think when you're unsure of what to do, that there are lots of professionals out there that can be helpful to you. I really, uh, you know, mental health is a big issue at schools, and they include addiction in some of that, uh, even in elementary school where my kids go. And so, you know, they aren't opposed. I think everyone's that's kind of a, a thing now. And so, you know, if, if you do want help, I think that there is help for you there because it is really, really difficult to decide what do you tell, how open do you want your kids to be with other people. You know, those are all questions that that, that by yourself are hard to deal with and, and even in recovery meetings you might not necessarily find someone else who has the same situation so I think that there are lots of different resources out there and that people should do what's right for them and um, you know I, I like Aaron I will say without my husband doing this I think I really would have struggled myself so for us it's it's been a revitalization of our entire life together which is so surprising and great but it also does put a lot of pressure on the two of us to do things together. So um, I'm really glad we're doing it, but it will be a – I'm also in a, a live it every day, at, you know, live it one day at a time. So thank you so much for having me. I really appreciate it. Oh, thank you for being here so much. Um, we're just so grateful to, to both of you and to all the listeners that wrote in to, to share their thoughts on it. Um, this has just been a great episode. I know I feel – really lighter today and um, I really hope that all our listeners um, are, are finding some takeaways in this as well 
and um, remember that it's not only about your kids. For for those that that don't have kids, I think this is a worthwhile listen, even just for for talking to friends and family members. So. Huge thanks to both of you. Catherine and Amanda, thank you both for being on the air tonight. Thanks for having us. I'm so inspired by moms and dads who are in recovery. I just, I love it. And thank you so much for your your candor and for sharing this part of your journey with us, ladies. Mm. Thank you. And Amanda, you're Echo. The same. Um, thank you both so much for being on, and Jean, for you sharing as well. It's it's just really inspirational, and um, and I just love. I mean, I, I think one of my biggest takes is um, you know wherever you're, wherever you're at is okay, and I love you know I love that and um, learning to accept that whoever you are, a parent or not, um, it's just it's important, very important thing. So thank you both so much, or thank you all so much. Well, on that sweet note, we're going to close tonight's show. And as always, we'd like to direct you to our parent organization, ShiningStrong.org, where you'll find links to all our resources, including the Bubble Hour and Crying Out Now, and links to some other initiatives around recovery advocacy. And if you'd like to go directly to the Bubble Hour's website, that's thebubblehour.com, and there you can listen to our shows directly from the website, or you can follow the link and subscribe to our podcast. We thank you all for listening to the Bubble Hour, and we hope you have a great evening. Good night, everyone. Good night. Good night. Thank you. With the Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details.